The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. We're going to be talking about faith walking. Faith walking. And that sounds like a strange title, but it's what faith looks like when it's being lived out. Uh, walking is a, uh, a euphemism that's used in the scriptures to, uh, that's synonymous with the way one lives out one's life. And so uh, we are told in the Apostle Paul's writings that we walk by faith. We walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. Uh, Enoch walked with God. He had a faith walk, and he had this testimony, we are told in Hebrews 11, that he pleased God. So our Lord Jesus returned from the mount where he was giving his uh, discourse on what a heavenly life looks like when it's lived out on the earth. And of course, we know from the uh, life and ministry of the Lord Jesus in the earlier parts of the uh, first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that uh, our Lord Jesus stilled the storm and he, for example, he healed the bond servant of the centurion, he healed a leper, uh, he raised a widow's son from the dead, and demons throughout his Galilean ministry was uh, cast out. And so the Holy Spirit opens to us a view uh, in the couple of examples that we're going to be examining. He opens to us a view to the thought processes influencing faith's exercise. The thought process that's influencing faith's exercise. And of course, the Holy Spirit also strengthens the object of faith's confidence in showing the scope of the Lord Jesus' authority. When he stilled the storm, he, he rebuked his disciples for either having little faith or misplaced faith or an absent faith. Where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. But with the centurion... Uh, he demonstrated that he's able to heal at a distance. And the centurion was mindful of the fact of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to simply say the word as God did in the creation of the world. Let there be. He said, light be. And light was. And the leper that was healed, of course, the divine touch, the word of the master, be cleansed. The will of God to heal, to bless, to restore. And you and I can come to God with this confidence that he desires to do in our lives a similar healing, restoration process. Many of us have so much to be healed from, past hurts and 
disappointments and you know we carry a lot of baggage and God would have us to unburden ourselves and of course the widow's son when he was brought back to life the Lord Jesus called his soul back from Hades Abraham's bosom so the the authority of the Lord Jesus extends to Hades and also to the netherworld when he cast out demons so we see a sense of a, a greater perspective of the scope of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be examining faith. Because faith is really a catalyst. Okay, It's a catalyst, but it can be influenced, increased, decreased, not applied, misapplied, or absent. It's a catalyst. Uh, I mentioned in the earlier podcast when we started Beside Still Waters, it, it reminded me of my mom's uh, process of making bread, and she would add yeast for example, uh, to the dough and knead it, you know, press it into the dough and, and cover it that it might rise. And, you know, as the minutes passed, this, this lump began to grow. Why? Because yeast was a catalyst. It mixed with whatever was in that dough and it had a corresponding effect. So too faith. Uh, we are told in Hebrews, for example, that faith is the substantiating of uh, things unseen, Okay, and, and of course, I, I wouldn't want to, um, to uh, misquote it, but it, it bears repeating it. And I guess I'm always leery of, you know, just quoting scripture because uh, that, uh, we tend to miss the significance of what is being said. But, but the writer to the Hebrews said, faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of the evidencing of things not seen. A substantiating, a bringing to pass, bringing into time and space. It's a catalyst. But we see that when faith is present, God demonstrates his exploits. And his people are engaged in the impossible. So it works both ways. When that catalyst is plentiful, God is at work. And man is energized by the Spirit of God to do, to work the impossible. So with regards to God's promise, uh, he says in 2 Chronicles 16.9 that he searches the earth. The eyes of Jehovah searches the earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect, who are pointed, who are looking to him. He wants to show himself strong. God cannot lie. We are told in Hebrews 6.18, he's trustworthy. We are told in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that we are given great and rare promises, enabling us to participate in God's divine nature. This is just a tremendous privilege that God is giving to us through the exercise of faith, to participate in his invisible divine nature. We see God at work in our lives in a significant, almost miraculous way. And uh, faith exercised is the divinely ordained method, for lack of a better word, to effect the God and human dynamic. How does God bring the unseen into this world? It is when his people are full of this catalyst and exercising it. The substantiating of things hoped for. 
the evidencing, the conviction of things not seen. Faith sees it. And we're going to look at a couple of uh, individuals, but it, it, you know, let's set the, the backdrop. This exercise of the catalyst is the only way that God is made to be pleased. We are told in Hebrews 11, 11 11.5, I believe, that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. What we're also going to see uh, when we look at uh, the leper and and the woman who was healed of her hemorrhage is just a, a contrast between law and grace. Uh, And this subject has come up because uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, when the leper was healed, the Lord Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. Show yourself to the priests. But this leper proclaimed far and wide what Jesus did for him. So much so that our Lord Jesus had to go in outside of the town so that the people can come to him. This man was effective in broadcasting the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He received something that he did not deserve, but he got something by virtue of the grace of God, and he was so thankful. Yet the Levitical requirement required or necessitated that there was a trespass offering for the leper who is in the day of his cleansing healed. And of course, he had to be outside of the camp and the priest had to examine him. And, of course, uh, there would be an exercise of a, a ceremonial ritual evidencing that he's been cleansed and his clothes had to be washed and he had to be shaved completely, removed the hair of his body. And after one week had elapsed, he would return into the camp. But this man didn't have a turtle dove to sacrifice. He had the sacrifice of praise. And he remained in the town and he told everyone. He witnessed to everyone. Whereas in the Old Testament, they would have to show themselves to the priest. In this instant, the great high priest himself was the one that performed the healing. Hence, he could pronounce him clean. The leprosy left him. He was cleansed, fully healed. And the whole town returned. The man would have to return after one week. (laughs) But in this particular case, when this leper was healed, the entire town returned to Jesus. They came to Jesus. And so we get a good contrast between law and grace. Some have even said, well, you know, he, he didn't obey the way he should have obeyed. But that was not the intent of the Lord Jesus, that he should go show himself to the priest. Because the great high priest was the one who laid hands on him and healed him. And we're going to see in the case of the woman who was healed, there were some ceremonial rites associated with her healing. And the Lord Jesus completely bypassed them and didn't even tell her to go to the priest. So you would have to ask yourself, here are two individuals that have been healed. And according to Leviticus uh, 14 and Leviticus 15, they should have presented themselves to the priest at one point or another in the ceremonial uh, walking through of this process. But that's not done. So you have to ask yourself, was, why would the Lord Jesus tell one man to, to go show himself to the priest? And then he would tell the woman, he wouldn't even tell her to go show herself to the priest. Because I believe that that wasn't the point. Here's a contrast between law and grace. And rather than going and showing yourself to the priest, 
my friends, we have the great high priest present in, in Leviticus 15. Those, uh, for example, the woman who has been cured of her, her issue, okay, she would have to be separated, of course, seven days if she was under the normal uh, female cycle. But if not, any person or belongings in her life would be considered unclean. She was a walking plague. And upon the day of her cleansing, she had to bring turtle doves and show herself to the priest. And the priest makes the offering on her behalf. But in this case, when the Lord Jesus healed this woman, this was after 12 years of being separated. Her whole life was unclean. And she was, she was a walking plague in a crowded uh, scenario where people are pressing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was no sacrifice required. She was before the great high priest himself. No atonement was made. No cleansing rites needed. Why? <laughs> she was healed. And sometimes we get lost in the, the uh, legalistic uh, way of living rather than growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, really evidencing in our lives that we are becoming more like the Lord Jesus week by week, month by month, year by year, through the working and the power of the Spirit of God. And so the ceremonial rites were not required because they're in the presence of the lawgiver himself. The Old Testament confidence was now placed in the Son of God. God was present in their midst. And so now let's, let's just consider in our conversation the thought of the heart. Because we're going to look at the centurion again, as we did in the last podcast, and this woman. I love these two examples because they are illustrative of how the Christian potentially can live, can walk. And for the centurion, we are seeing faith as it can be. And uh, you can find it, for example, in Luke chapter 7. I, I love it when this man... Uh, upon hearing that the Lord Jesus was in fact coming to his house, <laughs> he said to his friends uh, to tell the Lord Jesus, <laughs> don't come. Don't come. Just, just say the word. Just say the word. Just say, issue the command. Issue the command. This man said that he saw Jesus' authority. Okay, he saw his authority. He saw Jesus' power to transcend spatial constraints. He saw diseases, or if not seen, he certainly had heard because he was living in Capernaum in the Galilean district. And so where our Lord Jesus' ministry was, and often there were rumors that went out about the workings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this man made the connection between the earthly and the heavenly because he too was a man of authority. And so when he recognized in uh, Luke chapter 7, in verse 7, okay, in fact, it, it said to him, it said uh, that Jesus in verse 6 went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent to him friends saying, Lord, 
Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wherefore, neither did I count myself worthy to come to you. But say by a word, and my servant shall be healed. In other words, command it. Command it. Use the same method that was used in the creation of the world. And so the conclusion that this man obviously drew was that Jesus has both exousia and dunamis. Okay, he both has he has both explosive power, these the strength of person to cast out, to make whole again, to bring life, to restore life. But he has the authority to do it. And so he could say to the Lord Jesus, number one, I'm not worthy. Don't trouble yourself. He first sends the elders of the Jews because he's a Gentile. But then he sends his friends and he was clear And cognizant of the fact that he's not worthy, he's not righteous. There's no reason why God should do what he's doing for this man. But God is willing. My friends, here's one of the great truths of the Gospels. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is willing to step into your life and to change you. To change circumstances. To make a difference. If, if we would exercise faith as it can be exercised. This man saw God's willing heart towards him, and he immediately sends his friends, but he never lost his sense of unworthiness. And we have to be careful with this, because we will say, oh, I'm no good. There is that sense that I'm not good enough. But mixed with that sense that I'm not good enough is also the realization that God is willing to bestow upon me a grace and blessing in spite of my lack of worth. And so we embrace the complete picture. I am not worthy, but God is willing. And because of his willingness, I will honor his heart towards me and receive with a thankful heart the blessing, the answered prayer, the request that has been granted. And then lastly, this man saw not only Jesus' authority, but his ability. You see, when the Lord Jesus steps into a circumstance, whether to heal people, to restore, to cleanse, to enable them to walk, to see, to raise the dead, etc., he was effectual in his presence. Things either went or came, (laughs) whether they be people or events. There was a response to Jesus' command. And this centurion recognized that. He said, I am a man of authority. Or I should say, for emphasis, I also am a man placed under authority. So he's making the comparison, the parallel lines Having under myself soldiers, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. So people were responsive to his authority as a centurion, and he recognized that people and events are also subject to Jesus' authority. And then he says to, you know, he continues when he says to his bond slave, do this, and he does it. So there was a creative action. Jesus, the Lord Jesus has the ability that far extends beyond people. When he stilled the storm, (laughs) he demonstrated that his power goes 
even towards inanimate uh, uh, circumstances, uh, situations, storms. Uh, when he fed the multitudes, he took the lunch of a little boy and multiplied it. The lunch that was an extension of this child, he took and used it to bless thousands. When our Lord Jesus cast out ill health, paralysis, demons, leprosy, but he also has the ability to bring new health. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. He can still storms. He fed multitudes. He cast demons out and sent them into the netherworld. There is no uh, constraint, no barrier to the exousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this centurion saw it. He was demonstrating faith as it can be. It sees the scope, the reach, the power, the domain of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it rests on that. And so he said, just command it and it shall be done. He honored the Lord Jesus in ascribing to him what was in fact true. This is what faith as it can be does. It sees and receives what the scriptures say concerning the mind and will of God, and it behaves, it responds in view of that will. I've mentioned Second Chronicles 16 several times that the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is searching the whole earth. Why? For one purpose only, to make, to show himself strong in the behalf of that individual who's looking to him with singleness of heart and mind. That ought to encourage you and me to be bold in our asking, to be importunistic in our praying, to staying with it and staying in the presence of God until the answer comes. And then we come to this woman. Now, this woman, I thought, was really bold. And we'll find a little bit about her circumstance in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark 5 and Luke 8. And of course, she was financially destitute because she spent all her earnings, all her living. Okay, she literally, poor thing, she, she had nothing left. She had nothing left, we are told. And uh, <laughs> she had faith. There was no improvement in her circumstance. And in fact, we are told that it even got worse. It even got worse. She spent everything she had. She found no advantage. It got worse. But we are told, having heard concerning Jesus. So whether it be in the form of a rumor or hearsay or just overhearing people talk. She heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the opportunity was before her. Now, I want you to pay attention to something because this is, this I find absolutely fascinating about this woman. We are told <laughs> that she came through the crowd behind. She came up from the rear. She touched his clothing. And this is what she said. If I shall touch but his clothes, and in another uh, gospel, it says, the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. So faith, as it can be, 
is even bold to set the parameters of one's asking. She, I say, she determined the method for her healing. She said, if I just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. If I just touch his clothing. Now, Jesus, being the son of God, is going to honor her faith because is there any scripture that she can rely on to say, uh, God gave a promise that if you touch the, the, uh, the clothing of the priest, you shall be healed? Absolutely not. But she, seeing through the eyes of the heart by faith, initiated the process through touch. She set the parameters of her asking in her heart. And this is so vitally important, my friends. Sometimes we come to God timidly, afraid to ask the impossible. Why? Because we just don't think, number one, God is going to do it. Number two, that I'm worthy of it. And therefore, I'm just going to be careful in my asking. But she was bold in it. She said, if I touch his garment, I'm going to be whole. I'm going to be healed. And so she did just that. She was determined with the conviction that the outcome, as she believed in her heart, would come to pass. And this is what faith is. The substantiating of things hoped for. The substantiating of things hoped for. The evidencing, the conviction of things not seen. She was convinced in her heart. She had the conviction, if I touch his clothing, I will be made well. Let me ask you, my friends, when is the last time you went before God about some matter that was important to you and you set aside time for prayer over an extended time, perhaps days or weeks, and it need be with fasting because this thing, this matter, this change was important to you? But most importantly, that you were convinced in your mind and heart that God will hear and respond because you're asking the impossible. Oh, my friends, what an honor it is that as God searches the earth to and fro, he stops at your home, at your door, at your apartment, because he knows that you are on bended knee, asking the impossible, because you are convinced in your heart. There's a conviction in your heart, in your spirit, that the outcome, as you see it and have received it by faith, is going to come to pass because you are relying on his promises. Ask and keep on asking, and you shall receive Knock and keep on knocking. Oh, my friends, this is, this is good stuff. And what did she say? If I touch his clothing, the hem, Matthew 9, 20, I'll be healed. If I touch only, only a touch, he didn't have to touch me. I just have to touch an extension of him, his clothing, she thought within our heart, I'm not going to wait for him. I'm going to initiate contact. I shall be healed. Mark 5, verse 29. Her faith was based on hearsay. We have the word of God. And we are slow to believe God for the impossible. Oh, my friends, 
Every crisis, any problem in in your life is an opportunity that is divinely sent that you and I may prove that our God is sufficient. But we are wont to take him at his promise to go into the closet, to close the door and to beseech him in the full assurance of faith that if we are heard, we have the petitions which we ask for. Faith has full expectation of receiving. Faith can be more than what it is. You don't have to be as the disciples were with an absent faith, a little faith, (laughs) a misplaced faith. But you and I, by the grace of God and the working of the Spirit of God, relying on the promises, the great and rare promises, we can have a faith as it can be. And like this woman who was daring enough to set the parameters for her healing. I think this is just phenomenal because she's the one. I mean, you read your Bible. It's right there. She said in her heart, she was the one that said it. (laughs) I'm not telling you. She said, if I touch his clothes, I shall be healed. S-H-A-L-L. If I touch his clothes. In fact, in, in Mark's gospel, it says, if I shall touch, I shall be healed. This is absolute certainty. And the method is a touch. And it didn't even require his consent. She is going to make contact with the Son of God. <laughs> and of course, the Lord Jesus asked the obvious question, who touched my clothes? And of course, his disciples <laughs> were a bit perplexed because everybody's pressing on him. But the woman was frightened, frightened and, and knowing what had taken place in her, she received the thing she believed. She came, fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, I want to say something. She was no different than the leper. The leper went out into the town and told everyone. But everyone was pressing on the Lord Jesus when she was called out. So when she began to tell her story, everyone was there. <laughs> The same circumstance in a slightly different fashion is the same result as with the leper. Everybody hears the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to change, to restore, to heal, to make a new a person's life. And we are like beggars sitting on a treasure trove of the promises of God, great and precious promises, and we continue to live like Oh, my dear friends, we need to take advantage of this. (laughs) Every problem in your life is an opportunity for God to step in. I would encourage you to be bold and go before God. Ask the impossible. Risk it all. But ask God to do the impossible. And let him know, just as he said in in, uh, Psalm 50, verses uh, 14 and 15, I believe, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. Lastly, for our consideration is Jairus, the healer of the synagogue. This is, this is part two, if you will, of faith walking. He was a ruler of the synagogue. We can learn about his circumstance in Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter nine, uh, Matthew chapter 9 and uh, Mark chapter 5. Okay, and, and, and I, like, I, I like this, <laughs> I like this, this story, if you will, or this, this circumstance, but... He came to Jesus, of course, falling at Jesus' feet and besought him to come to his house because he only had a daughter about 12 years old. She was dying. 
But we are told in Matthew chapter 9 that he told Jesus how he should affect his healing. And, and in Matthew chapter 9, he says to the Lord Jesus that, you know, you would come and lay hands on her. Okay, come and lay hands on her and she shall live. So now he's going to tell the Lord Jesus how to do his healing. I don't know if he knew that the Lord Jesus healed the centurion's servant with a word. I don't know if he knew about the stilling of the storms, feeding of the multitudes. Who knows? I don't know what he knew, what he heard. But he told the Lord Jesus how to affect his healing. Because this girl was on the verge of death. One of the, the gospel writers said she was at her extremity. So she probably was very near death. Not just ill, but the evidences of if you've ever seen someone who's dying, you know when the end is near, it's a matter of an hour or two or a few minutes. But this man dictated how the Son of God should heal because he, that is Jairus, could see no other way for this to be done. Now, here's the bad news. <laughs> See, bad news happens when you are praying for something that's critical for you. And as Jesus went with him, which shows God's willingness to respond in life's circumstances. But remember, my friends, we cannot dictate to God how and when to answer. But what do you do when circumstances are contrary to what you are believing God for? This is one of the most critical challenges to the devotees, the, the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens when I am praying and believing for something and the circumstances appear to be contrary or getting worse? And it looks like the thing I'm praying for is moving further away. How is faith to be exercised in circumstances like this when it's clear that the physical evidences of the circumstances are simply saying it is now impossible to get what you are asking God to do? I remember, and I, and I had the privilege of writing about this in my, my uh, book, uh, uh, a violent gust of wind in the presence of God. I, I was praying to uh, to the Lord to help me to get to St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. And I remember about 10 days before my trip, Hurricane Irma was was literally uh, going to bullseye right through to St. Croix. And my sister was concerned that I wouldn't make it. And I set aside time of prayer and fasting. And I asked God, move the storm north. Move the storm because you control the winds. And I was convinced... I would get there and I recall speaking with her and she says, are you still going to come to St. Croix? And I said, yes, of course. She said, but Hurricane Irma is coming. And I said, I've asked the Lord to move the storm north so that I can get to St. Croix. And she was speechless. But I didn't care. He owns the wind. He's the creator of it. And so said, so done. He moved the storm slightly north Missed St. Croix, I got on the island and I still lived to go through Hurricane Maria, which I told and wrote about uh, 15 or 16 answers to prayer, three of which were miracles, outright miracles. And it changed my sister's life and perspective about walking with God. So how is faith to be exercised in circumstances that are visibly contrary to what you're believing God for? In other words, the outcome is now impossible. And so we see divine intervention. Scripture says this, and, and I love this concerning our Lord Jesus, because <laughs> it says, 
As soon, while he was yet speaking, verse 49 of Luke, uh, Luke chapter uh, 8, while he was yet speaking, someone of the rulers of the synagogue's house came saying, thy daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But Jesus, hearing it, answered him saying, fear not, only believe. And there lies the battleground. Fear not, only believe. The Lord Jesus intervene immediately because he knew the effect that this news would have on this man's faith. And what did he do? Uh, to put it in, 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 in Christian Javois language, he arrested his faith and placed it not on the bad news, but on the Lord Jesus himself. Back to himself. Believe what you were believing before, which is, I am coming to your house to heal your daughter. Dead or alive, she's going to live. <laughs> And so Jesus emphasized what was needed. The only component that was needed is to believe only. But for many of us, this is the choice, the fearing or the believing. And if we are honest with ourselves, we spend more time fearing, not believing. In the heart is this active battle. Fearing that the thing I want will not come to pass or believing that as God has promised, he shall bring it to pass. And Jairus was to believe through, I underscore, emphasize through to the completion of the request. With every step they made towards the house, he had to confirm that Jesus is with me. Jesus said to believe and she shall live in spite of the news that I heard, which is she is dead, my faith, my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ who is walking with me. Jairus had to continue believing the promise, she shall be made well. And to believe this in the face of the news, she is dead. This was a step-by-step -step process and I either believe it is over, it cannot be done, it is an impossibility, or I believe she shall live. To bring it home to you, my friends, I either believe that the eyes of Jehovah are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on my behalf, or this circumstance that I'm facing is impossible for him to change. I vote for believing. I have lived to see in my short lifetime that God is able to do the impossible. I wish I could tell you the stories. I'll probably dedicate uh, a podcast or two about answered prayer and share my stories with you. But when I went, when I was stranded on St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands for 21 days and we saw about 15 answers to prayer, it was nothing short of miraculous, but it was a joyful time because it was impossible circumstances. And we had opportunity to believe God in spite of what we saw, and he did not fail us. So, my friends, here we are, beside still waters, once again. We are asking ourselves, what do I believe about the God in whose presence I'm in? Is he able to do the impossible in my life. 
This is the call to you and me. What is it that I believe about God? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, Unto us, unto you and me, are given great and precious, rare promises. And let me emphasize that by these promises, we, you and I, might be partakers of his divine nature. How do you know God is with you? How do you see the hand of God working? You and I must rely, lean on, trust, depend on his precious promises. If he says, go into your closet and and pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret shall render it to you, (laughs) my my Christian Javois translation is, go into your closet, and what was discussed with God privately, God will manifest publicly in answered prayer. He wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He is searching the earth for people to whom he can demonstrate that he is their God. And we insult him because we fail to ask boldly and believingly. And so as we quiet our hearts beside still waters, I want to share with you that God takes my, your impossibilities and longs to make them possible to us because we're looking to him. We're told in Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15, call upon me, call upon me, call upon me. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Call upon me. The verse before says, offer unto God your your sacrifices of thanksgiving. Give God his due. Let him know I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you alone. I'm praying about some matters in my life right now. Believing the promise that he says, ask and it shall be given. In the original text, it's ask and keep on asking and it shall be given. So before I get off my knees, I thank him for the answer because he says, it shall be given. Just keep on asking. In Proverbs 21, he says, The heart of the king in the hand of Jehovah is like the water brooks. He turns it wherever he will. There's nothing impossible for God. People are powerless to change his divine decrees. So therefore, as I pray, I said, Lord, command it on my behalf. Please, for your glory's sake and the glory of your word that you've exalted above your name. Oh, as we are in his presence, let us be Bold, oh so bold, to remind the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are trusting Him. And so I say to you, my friends, as we quiet our hearts once again, beside still waters, I would remind you that the Spirit of God who penned the words the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. Let us turn our hearts to this Savior who with compassion longs to walk with us, to come into our homes to take control of our crises and to show that he's well able to heal, to deliver, to strengthen, to do all that is necessary to encourage our hearts to keep walking with God. May it be so. 
for our mutual benefit and blessing. And to the glory of His name. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.